Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Jankowski, and today I'm really excited to be speaking with Andrew Endicott, the CFO and co-founder of Pedal. Pedal is a new kind of credit card company focused on making credit honest, simple, and accessible. Pedal is one of the fastest growing fintechs in the U.S. and is pioneering the next generation of consumer lending through its proprietary cash flow underwriting strategy. Prior to co-founding Pedal, Andrew worked in investment banking at Lazard and in corporate law at Wilkie Farr and Gallagher. He has a JD from Harvard Law School and a BSBA from the University of Arkansas. Andrew, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me on. Can you start by telling us about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Andrew Indicott, um, I'm, I'm from the southern U.S. So I was born in Mississippi, uh, grew up in Arkansas, um, and, and went to, to college at the University of Arkansas. I'm a Razorback. Um, and, you know, I, I, I went to school there, studied accounting, which is not the most thrilling uh, degree for folks, but I, I wanted to get something I could use. But, you know, pretty quickly decided that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, ended up deciding to go to, to, uh, to law school um, to become a corporate attorney. So did that um, and, you know, became a corporate attorney via Harvard Law School, where I met uh, my ultimate co-founder uh, of Petal, uh, Jason, um, along with some other folks that I'll, I'll talk about probably here, here a little bit later in the, in the, the podcast. But, um, you know, was at, at Harvard for a few years, met a lot of great folks, and <clears throat> ended up moving to New York um, after graduation and uh, became a, an attorney at Wilkie Farr & Gallagher. I did uh, M&A primarily um, when I was there. Um, and then also did a good amount on the capital market side, worked on a number of IPOs in the tech space, worked on the Yodley IPO, a couple others, uh, kind of did your vanilla bond offerings, things like that, that, that every uh, transactional corporate attorney does. After some point, I, I got kind of bored of being uh, a, a corporate, corporate lawyer. Uh, it's a great career, but not for me. Um, and moved over to, to finance, went to Lazard, uh, the investment bank, um, and when I was there, I, I primarily did um, again M and A um, in the the consumer retail space. So really, any consumer facing business that, that that you know sold to the public. Um, so I worked with a lot of e commerce, direct consumer, uh, plus some brick and mortar um, type companies, and you know all kinds of different products. Um, but in in the end, I, I I started to develop some expertise working with those same kinds of businesses, uh, consumer facing ones, but specifically ones that, that had credit exposure. So kind of mixed model hybrid retail credit. Um, and, you know, exposed me to a couple things, point of sale finance, uh, but most importantly, private label credit cards. Um, worked with a few companies in that space. And that, that pretty naturally led, you know, segued to, uh, to what I'm doing now in Pedal. Great. And so I'm curious on that last point, what was the what was your inspiration for Pedal? And you mentioned Jason, some of the co-founders that, yeah. that you got this off the ground with. How did you guys meet? How did you come up with this idea? Yeah, so so Jason and I met um, when we were uh, both in law school at, uh, at Harvard Law, and it's kind of funny you you know you graduate from from college and or you, you go to college and you, you live in a dorm for a little bit and you know most people exit the dorm at some point, live in an apartment, whatever. Um, but then you you end up going to law school and you go back to a dorm. It's kind of funny. Um, and so <clears throat> he and I did that. Uh, came from different places, got to know each other there. Um, our first year of law school. Also got to, to know a guy named Burke Austin, um, who is also a, a co-founder of Pedal. Um, and, you know, that, that kind of, it ultimately really, you know, meeting Burke uh, was pretty important. He was, a, he was a PhD student at MIT at the time uh, in computer science. 
Um, and, and, you know, he, he, he was studying that. And ultimately, you know, knowing him and the, the three of us were, were pretty, you know, the, the shared experiences were instrumental in creating Pedal. Um, and, you know, one of the, the big inspirations of Pedal was, was really, goes back to Burke when he moved to, moved to the United States uh, from Switzerland some period of time ago. Um, you know, he came, came to the U.S. from there, didn't have any kind of financial history in the United States, um, which really meant that he had a lot of trouble getting access to credit. Um, you know, he hadn't borrowed money here, hadn't had a bank account, none of that. Um, and because of that, didn't have a FICO score. You know, when he applied for, for a credit card, couldn't get one. When he tried to get um, an apartment lease, had a lot of trouble. Even had a lot of trouble getting a postpaid cell phone plan. Uh, which is kind of shocking that even, you know, FICO score can impact your ability to get a cell phone. Um, so when we were putting the business together, we, we really saw that as, you know, a pretty peculiar thing. You had this smart, educated, employed, um, you, know, you know, normal guy who you think would be credit worthy, but, you know, had tremendous amount of trouble uh, getting access to credit. Um, and so that really was, was a big inspiration in, in starting Pedal. And, you know, ultimately what we've done is, is develop a, a means of understanding, you know, a borrower like Burke or, you know, any one of the number of tens of millions of people um, that, that, are, that are younger in the U.S. and really haven't had any experience with credit um, yet still have a need for it and, and are normal folks that if, that if, you, if, you, um, if you give access to it, they'll, they'll, they'll treat it properly and be responsible and pay it back on time and, and you know, be a, be a great customer. So the example of Burke resonates with me because I've had a few classmates at Wharton who, who are in similar situations where it's tough for them to access credit in the U.S. because they don't have FICO scores and the history of credit. Yep. Is, is that international student or international, um, you know, someone working in the U.S. from outside of the U.S., is that sort of your core customer or is that where you started? Has it evolved yeah. since then? So it, it, was, it was very important as a, as a way to, to kind of begin thinking about it. Um, but ultimately, you know, our... Our, um, our kind of target customer is, is much more general than that. Um, if you look at the United States, you've got, you know, you, you, there are a lot of different ways to measure this, but you've probably got 50 to 60 million people who have limited credit histories. They're often known as thin file, um, thin file population. Um, and, you know, that, that population of, of people, some of them are, you know, they, they truly have zero credit information, whether there's going to be nothing at the credit bureau. Um, and then you've got some, some of that population that have, you know, a little bit of information, but not enough to, to generate a FICO score or a FICO score that's any good um, that's going to, you know, kind of be enough to, that, a, that a lender can, can underwrite. Mm-hmm. Um, and that population is pretty, it, it, you know, it kind of spans the demographic uh, spectrum. Um, and, but to a large extent, it's, it's, it's really disproportionately. Um, and the reality is you've got tens of millions of people in the U.S. that, that have graduated from college, uh, that are beginning their financial lives, um, and they, for, for a lot of reasons, haven't had to use credit or haven't had the opportunity to use credit. Um, the way that it works um, you know, in, in, in the United States is that to, you know, to get credit, you, you often have to have an experience of using it first. That's how you generate a credit score. That's how credit bureau information is collected. Um, and for those folks, they're kind of out of luck. Um, because they, they haven't had that experience. And, you know, they, they face a pretty significant pain point. Um, there are many instances um, throughout everyone's life where, where being able to access credit is incredibly important. Um, you know, you want to, you know, to, to rent a car or, you know, to, to, to buy a flight or buy a suit for a job interview. All kinds of things uh, where having some liquidity is, is important. Um, you may not have sufficient funds in your bank account or cash to, to make those purchases. 
Um, everybody runs into these kinds of issues, and having a credit card is incredibly important. But if you're one of that one of the, the members of that population, you're going to have a lot of trouble. So, um, you know that that's really our core. You know, target customer is someone who has that issue, um, and you know it, it really. If you're not one of the, you know, kind of eighty percent of people, um, you know, kind of starting your financial life who who don't have a cosigner um, to get a credit card, you're going to run into that 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 problem. Um, and because of that, you're you're either not going to be able to get access, or you're you're gonna you're gonna be able to get access to a to, to a product that has really high fees, that has a really low limit, um, and really is, doesn't have a very great value proposition, it won't have rewards, um, any number of things that, that, are, that are negative compared to if you do have a credit history. Um, and so it's, it's not just international students or, or folks from other countries, um, it's, it's, you know, it includes younger folks, um, it includes divorcees, um, veterans often have a significant issue with, with uh, credit access. Um, so it, it's a pretty broad-based um, you know, kind of problem um, across society and you know, we, we feel like we're fixing it in a very significant way. So you saw this unmet need in the market. How did you then go out building a product that would meet those needs? Yeah, so you know, the, we, we saw that there was a pretty significant issue with access to credit. And it really, really related to the, the fact that, that people didn't have FICO scores that, that, that needed credit and they were going to be financially responsible and would be good customers for you know, whatever you lent to them. Um, and so the, the, the problem fundamentally was a data issue. Um, and so, you know, kind of, I, I made reference earlier to, to working with Yodley on their IPO. Um, and kind of, you know, at the time we were founding Pedal, um, it was around the time that some, some of those technologies, bank aggregation, um, kind of API, uh, financial API um, technology was coming into kind of its prime. Um, you know, I'd kind of come of age during the time of Mint.com um, and had been a pretty early adopter of that. Um, I was pretty familiar with it, um, and we saw a lot of potential to use uh, bank account data to understand the creditworthiness of a borrower. Um, you know, you, your your bank account is you know tells a, a wealth of information about you know kind of what you do. Um, you know, you've got your direct deposit information there. Usually, you've got you know kind of your balance. You've got spending patterns. Um, you know, you, you can see really the, the story of somebody's finances by looking at their bank account. And so, you know, as we were starting the business, we saw that as a, a really huge source of signal uh, for somebody's financial health um, in, a, in a way, in, in, at the same time, almost everyone in the United not, States, not everyone in the United States, but I think something in the low 90%, um, you know, of folks do have a bank account. And even beyond that population, folks have prepaid accounts, which are often digital, um, which, you know, is a higher kind of penetration rate than credit. That, that, that you know, that thin file population almost always has a, a, a bank account. So we're able to use, we, they have that information and we can tap into uh, bank accounts to understand the financial life of somebody who doesn't have a credit bureau history. Um, and we can start to you know, see patterns um, in, in that behavior history uh, to, to understand their creditworthiness, um, which, you know, completely independently of FICO data or credit bureau data um, and so forth. And so that, that was really the, 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 the genesis of, you know, what we see as one of our core competitive advantages. We call it cash flow underwriting, um, where we're, use, we're looking at 
you know, cash inflows, cash outflows, balances, insufficient funds, instances, uh, to be able to determine the credit readiness of somebody, uh, which ultimately, in my opinion, ends up being more fair uh, to the consumer because, you know, if you think about what drives a FICO score, um, you know, it's kind of mysterious. You don't actually know. Um, FICO doesn't really explain how its algorithm works. Um, ours is actually is pretty simple. Um, you know, we, we're examining the cash flows and we make a determination based on, you know, kind of the, you know, how it looks over time in terms of, you know, inflows being more than outflows and kind of the, the you know, the presence of, of resources there um, and kind of stability and things like that to make decisions, um, which, you know, I think goes, really goes back to kind of the, the history of how underwriting has always worked. Um, you know, if you go back to the 19th century, the early 20th century, when, when you go to the bank and you try and get a loan, uh, the way that it works is you talk to the, you know, kind of the, the, the clerk of the bank or whatever, um, and they, they look at your, they pull up kind of your, your statement of account and see, okay, this person has money in their account and they're, you know, they're, they're spending wisely. Um, and so a person would do that. And a pedal, really what we're doing is we're, we're kind of just automating that same decision making. Um, and, you know, to me, it's much more relevant and direct um, for, you know, kind of the, the credit worthiness of somebody rather than something, you know, some money they borrowed a long time in the past, which often is inaccurate, which most credit bureau, um, account, I think 80% of uh, credit bureau uh, reports for folks have mistakes on them. Um, you know, that, that cash flow information is just so much more on point for somebody's financial health and resilience. Um, and that's what we use to, to, to underwrite. And then the other thing you spoke to was your team saw this, this need for uh, better technology, a better user experience. Um, once you saw this need, how did you then go about building the technology stack and sort of, you know, the, the interface that a customer yeah. would see when they're, when they're using the power bar? You know, it's, it's no secret that banks are not popular. Um, you know, the, and a lot of that comes down to kind of how, how people interact with them. Um, you know, on one hand, you know, a lot of banks still require that, that you go into the branch uh, to, to, to do various things, which that's not very popular with, with um, you know, younger, younger consumers today. But, but even when they, they are able to serve you in a digital format, um, that experience is generally going to be very poor. Um, and there are exceptions to that, but for the most part, by and large, um, banks and financial institutions don't do a good job of digital interactions. Um, and so we, we saw that as a, as a major opportunity and, you know, that was really where we focused a lot of our, our efforts from a technological standpoint. Um, and, and, and Jack, um, Arenas, our, our CTO and co-founder, um, you know, he, you know, he, he's got a background in, in a variety of things, but, you know, focuses a lot of time and attention on, on this. Um, but also, you know, we, a lot of building a, a technology company comes down to, 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 really recruiting the right team. Um, and so as, as, a, as an institution, we've tried to build a culture uh, that, that is design and, and product and technology focused, an engineering culture um, that can, you know, that can build tremendous things. Um, and we focus a lot of time on recruiting the best people that can do it. Um, and, you know, the, our product, I think, is, is to, a, to, you know, an unusual extent, very, very technologically um, demanding. Uh, we're doing intense data um, work on for underwriting and for, for things related to that. Um, then on the front end, the experience has to be has to be you know impeccable. Um, that's really what we what we what we sell to consumers is that, that we that we can provide um, you know the credit card experience um, better than anybody else. Um, and so we have to be able to deliver on that. So um, 
you know, it really came down to seeing an opportunity and seeing places where we can innovate um, and then recruiting the right people to do it. Um, and we, we try to, to do as best we can to, to, you know, to really put in place the, the, you know, the, the most, most effective and, you know, best kind of emerging technology in, in all instances where we can. And, you know, if, that, if that's, you know, using machine learning or React Native or, or whatnot, um, we focus on, on being on the cutting edge. And the culture piece, I'd love to come back to, but um, just to push on the, um, the business, how you got off the ground. Yep. I know you guys are a little bit different in that you don't charge any fees and right. your interest rates are more competitive than what's typically on the market. <clears throat> how did you make the decision to do that and how do you make the unit economics work with that sort of model? Yeah, so, so each, um, you know, each technology company, I feel like, um, you know, kind of comes with the, you know, the, the technology they use in, by and large, generates economic advantages as well. So a lot of, um, you know, kind of tech-enabled or technology companies can, can be better at customer acquisition. Um, it's often common in financial services for, for fintech companies to, to be better at, you know, kind of serving their customers well in an expensive way because they're using technology you can leverage for 10 people or 10,000 um, and the variable costs are pretty low. Um, but for us, and, and I think we, we take advantage of both of those things, but the special thing for us when it comes to our, our economic model really comes down to using technology to make better decisions. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we use cash flow underwriting, as, as I've, I've, I've kind of made reference to. Um, you know, we use bank account data to make lending decisions, and that, that, that on one hand lets us expand the pie and serve people that, that otherwise, you know, lenders can't. Um, but it also makes it allows us to within a group of borrowers to be better about um, making those decisions, and we can make better um, risk-adjusted uh, underwriting decisions than another lender. Um, and ultimately, what that's going to lead to in the long run, and you know, we're, we're a young company, and you know, we'll we'll see how how things go through business cycles. But we we do anticipate that this is going to result in a lower default rate in the long run, um, and we're going to be able to. Uh, pass those savings on to the, the to the cardholder to the consumer um, in a variety of ways. But one of the ways we do that uh, is by not having fees. Um, we lend less frequently to people who don't pay us back. Therefore, we don't have to charge them as money, um, and so we we don't have to charge fees. Um, our APRs are are often lower. Um, we can extend um, higher credit lines, um, and generally the economics of our product work out. Um, you know, in the consumer's favor and in ours because we, we're, we're not incurring those, those losses that, that we otherwise would. Um, and then also, I think on the other pieces I mentioned earlier, I think we're better at customer acquisition and we're, we're better at, at, uh, at servicing, um, you know, at scale using technology that allows us to be more efficient um, and also to provide a, you know, more customized, um, you know, good experience for, for the end consumer. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And so once you're... Um originating new loans on earning this risk, will you typically hold the debt on your balance sheet or are you guys tapping the capital markets? <clears throat> yeah, so there, there's fintech lenders have a variety of ways that they that they kind of make the math work um, on their balance sheet um, and, and Pedal's no different. Um, the way we think about our business is we're a balance sheet lender. Um, so, you know, this kind of, this is true of all banks but also some fintech companies and that we hold the risk um, that we originate, um, we bear the the risk of losses, um, and we really have skin in the game um, as to the outcomes. Um, you know, which is often a big big uh, issue. You know, kind of looking back at the financial crisis and other things like that. Um, so when we 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 originate loans, 
uh, through our issuer partner, WebBank. Um, we, we, we hold those loans on our balance sheet, but we work with a variety of, of lending institutions and, and financial institutions to finance those loans. Um, in, you know, in, the, in the longer run, we're going to be working with securitization partners uh, to, to, to access you know, worldwide capital markets um, at cheaper cost of capital. Um, to to be able to you know to again pass those savings on to to the ultimate consumer because that's one of our biggest uh, line items of cost um, and and really you know from from my perspective I think the credit card space is a pretty good place to be um, it's it's a good asset class where there's a lot of demand um, and capital markets for it um, you know it generally has low default rates um, it's got it's got um, good yields and, and 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 just overall good excess spread for investors which is you know can be can be um, you contrast it with other asset classes that, that, that aren't so fortunate. And, you know, ultimately it makes it harder for issuers to, to make their unit economics work, um, particularly on a, on a risk-adjusted basis. Um, and furthermore, I think, I think uh, the, the capital markets really enjoy that, that um, you know, the credit card space and, and credit card, the, uh, being a credit card uh, company, it's a very scalable model um, that once you, you get it set up, you have a relationship with the customer, um, you know, there, there's a pretty predictable level of volume that, that continuously occurs. Whereas, you know, comparatively, if you're, if you're a, uh, you know, a mortgage lender or an auto lender, you know, you can't have to, you need to constantly originate uh, frequently to, you know, otherwise your, your, you know, balances will eventually pay off and, and you know, it's, it's kind of a, it'll be a declining business. The credit card, you have a continuous relationship with customers and, you know, that lifetime value ultimately ends up being very important. And so you, you spoke a little bit to how you saw this unmet need that you were able to step in and fill with Pedal. And you spoke a little bit to the attractiveness of the credit card relationship, both in terms of the economics yeah. and the relationship that you have with the customer. Mm -hmm. I also mentioned that a lot of your customers have other pain points or other unmet needs as it relates to financial services outside of just credit card. Yeah. How do you think about either what's next on your product roadmap or different partnerships you might have to address some of those needs? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of these questions are, are you know, still a bit unanswered um, at Pedal. We're, we're very focused on, you know, executing well with the credit card um, as a standalone product. Um, and we're going to continue doing that for, you know, probably indefinitely. Um, it, it is, we see it as a, as a you know, a, a product we can, we can do particularly well. It's important to consumers. Um, it's one of the highest engagement products that, that exists. Um, you know, it's right up there with deposit products. And, you know, we see that as a great place to have a business. And, you know, we can, we can uh, generate a great relationship with customers through it, uh, provide a lot of value to them. And, and economics for us work out well. Um, at the same time, the, you know, it's, it's the, the, those very strengths often, you know, kind of lead to, you know, kind of being able to, to, to look at adjacencies, you know, things... Um, you know, you know, kind of that are similar, um, other lending products, deposit products, uh, to, to the, you know, to the credit card. Um, and so you, you've got a variety of products that, that fit into the, that kind of general category, deposit, um, other loans, personal loans, mortgages, auto. Um, and we're beginning to look at these things. We've, we haven't made any commitments to, to, to move into those, those markets. But, um, I think, you know, starting a company, you often think about, you know, kind of your sources of strength, you know, kind of your, your beachhead market. Um, and the credit card is a great place to be because it, it is a, it is a economically very, very good place to start. Um, and much like Amazon, you know, has a very strong core business, um, that for them generates good unit economics and they've been able to, to use that strength to move into other, other places like AWS and, and whatnot. Um, 
you know, I think we feel similarly that we, we have that ability to, to down the road, um, leverage the strengths that we've, we've built um, in the credit card to, to, to capitalize on opportunities that we see fit. Um, so, you know, it's, the, the, the future hasn't been written yet, and so I'm not totally sure. Um, and it's, it's an ongoing debate of the company, but um, I think we see a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of promise. Yeah, no, that's great. And it sounds like you guys are getting good traction in the market. So I'd love to come back to something you mentioned earlier about the culture yeah. that you have at Pedal. Can you talk a bit more about the culture that you and your co-founders set out to build here and what that looks like? Absolutely. Um, I think there are a couple things you know, around culture, and every company does this differently, uh, that are important. Um, but really, you know, I think at Pedal, we, we began very much as a you know, mission-driven company. You know, we're, we're, we have a goal of making credit honest, simple, and accessible. Um, and that's been very consistent um, from, from the very get-go. Um, and that means a number of things, how we operate our business. We try to put the customer first. We try to do better um, than, than banks and financial institutions out there. And we're, we're really focused on trying to expand access. Um, and so we, we've had a, a very consistent you know, theme and mission and goal um, as a business um, as we've been growing basically you know, from, from being you know, two guys in a garage. We didn't actually start a garage. Um, we worked out of apartments. But the... the um, you know, so it's been there from the get-go, um, you know, shared vision for what we want to do. Um, so that, that's part of it. I think that's very important to building a good culture to have that. Um, but beyond that, I think it's also very important uh, to be very intentional about building a culture. So I think we've done a good job of that at Pedal. Um, and, you know, from, from very early days, we, we sat down and we, we really tried to be thoughtful about what it was we were trying to build. Um, and... You know, and that, that means, you know, trying to, you know, choose what, what values you really care about um, and, you know, constantly, you know, referencing those when you make decisions. Um, and most importantly, I think the biggest thing is referencing those, those cultural items when you're, when you're making hiring decisions. So, you know, the, the culture is really the, the summation of, of the, you know, the values and the, 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 the personalities and, you know, the people that you hire. Um, and so in the hiring process, we've always been very, very um, intentional about, you know, making reference to those values um, and the, those, those, those cultural uh, norms that we care about um, when we are hiring people. Um, and, you know, kind of at the, the beginning, it probably starts out a little aspirational when you've got, you know, four or five people talking about cultural, cultural norms and cultural values. It doesn't, you know, it's, you kind of, you're, you're four or five people, it's kind of a little bit silly, but you, you, you make them explicit and you focus on them and you care about them when you're hiring people. And then, you know, if you're, if you, if you actually do that when you're 50 people um, and you, you've, you've made it, made a, a, a focus to, to, to emphasize them through the hiring process, you, you know, you're going to have 50 people that fit into that culture. Um, and, it, and at that point it's self-perpetuating and it really has a momentum of, of its own. Um, and I think also something that's, that's been really, really important, I think for us is that early on as a company, we, we focused on, Building out a really great people team, uh, and Sucho um, is our chief people officer and has been been excellent. Um, you know, she joined the team pretty early and has, has helped us to build you know a, a cultural cu- culture that can scale and a people organization that that you know is built correctly. Um, which I think a lot of a lot of startups um, you know probably don't emphasize that strongly enough. It's easy to to focus on the product and you know you know growing users and all these things that that are kind of traditional you know. Uh, metrics that your investors and other folks are going to care about your kind of core KPIs, but but uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, the people that are that are doing the work are really the most important, and they they're making the vast majority of the decisions, um, and you know, they're doing the, the vast majority of important things. And so, focusing on getting the right people and, and treating them well and managing them well um, is important, and having the right folks, you know, kind of running that strategy and executing on it's really important too. Yeah, no, I love the focus on on people and on the culture. Um, Going back to the early days, uh, you talked about how you were a few guys in an apartment. Right, right. Um, how did you, once you had this idea, you saw that there was a need, unmet need, how did you go about testing demand in the market and validating the business idea? Yeah, so I, I, I would, you know, as a threshold matter, I'd say that fintech's a little different, um, particularly lending fintech when it comes to, you know, assessing the need um, because... You know, credit is something that, that a lot of folks need, and you're, one of your core challenges is determining who's going to actually pay you back. Um, so it's very easy to to overestimate, you know, the the, the demands you want the, the demand you want in, in fintech lending. Um, you know, when you're when you're doing testing and things like that. Um, so we really, as a company, we began from kind of core inspiration. Like I talked about Burke earlier, um, you know, as as part of why we started the business to begin with and identifying, you know, a true need um, that, that exists statistically. There's a lot of research on, on thin file borrowers and, and the, you know, the problems they face. Um, and it's something that's been ignored by a lot of institutions. Um, and so, you know, we began from that, that strong foundation of, of knowing that there's a problem, being able to demonstrate statistically that, you know, FICO can't measure a lot of people and FICO is the, the, the main you know, way that, that consumer lending happens in the United States. Um, and we, we took that as really the, the, the core philosophy of building a business. Um, and we didn't follow kind of the, the, the lean startup type approach where you're, you know, you're, you're rapid prototyping and assessing demand and things like that. Just because I, I think it's, it, that works in, in, you know, when you're, you're running an e-commerce company or social network and things like that, but it doesn't work particularly well in fintech because your, your, your result is that, you know, you're always going to want people, you're always going to have people who want credit. Um, so th- there's, th- I'd begin with, with that, that notion, but you know, after we, 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 you know, built out the thesis, um, you know, in a, in a thematic way, um, we did do a lot of work in terms of understanding our, our consumer, um, you know, that, that involved, you know, a lot of interviews with folks, particularly when it came to product development, um, and it involved, you know, a number of tests across marketing channels to, to assess, you know, kind of what, what the best ways to, to reach consumers were, was going to be. Um, and so there, there was a lot of quantitative work um, and real, real testing um, that happened before we launched the product um, on that end. And, and in addition to that, you know, we worked with, you know, the available data sources because there is a tremendous amount of data um, available um, for, for, for lending and, you know, at the, at the credit bureaus and whatnot uh, to, to really assess the size of the market. Um, so we spent a good amount of time um, splitting up that, that information to, to confirm that you know that this was truly a large group of people but the uh, it's 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 um, it's a little unusual because like you know there's some some businesses that you can't really confirm are going to work until you you launch them um, I think Tesla is probably a good example you know like you gotta you, you, you gotta build the car before you know, people you know how much people like the car um, it's different than building a website um, and and I think I think uh, pedal kind of fits in in that category as well. Um, it's, 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 you really, you have to have a, a lot of conviction about what you're building. Um, and you know, it worked. You build it, they'll come. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I'm curious, how do you, how do you reach your customers? Yeah. So we, we use a variety of channels. Um, 
uh, or, or means of, of acquiring customers. Um, and you know the from from the outset and really in a sustained way, um, one of the most successful ways that we've we've uh, been able to 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 get folks using the product has been it's been really organic demand. Um, you know we've we've worked with a number of press outlets and you know kind of um, you know. Uh, newspapers and, and, and journalistic sources to, to, to tell our story. Um, and it's resonated with a lot of folks and, you know, that credibility from, from them and, and kind of just the, you know, presence on Product Hunt and, you know, other places where, where new products are offered has, has generated kind of a flood of folks that, that, that find us. Um, which ultimately, when you're, when you're building a business, that's what you want. Uh, you, you always want, um, you know, kind of somebody you haven't really you know, spent money on advertising to, to, to come to the door. Um, but, you know, beyond that, that organic demand, um, you know, we, we, we focus on a couple channels. We use, um, you know, a direct acquisition via social channels. So Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, um, you know, we, we work with affiliate partners, you know, kind of Credit Karma and the like um, that, that, you know, have, have really emerged as a, a dominant way to, you know, to, to market a financial product over the past couple of years. Um, and then also, you know, we use traditional channels. We, we, we use direct mail, um, you know, and that's something we're, we're beginning to use more. Um, and, and most, most uh, fintech companies in the lending space use that as well, largely because of your ability to target um, consumers and be certain about who you're reaching. Um, so it's, you know, and also in the, in the near future, we're going to be utilizing more and more, um, you know, kind of broad-based advertising means, you know, whether that's, you know, kind of streaming television and things like that and radio. Um, so we, you know, we it, ultimately our, our strategy is, is, uh, is, is very broad-based. Um, we don't, we don't um, you know, depend on one given channel. Um, and we're, we're, we're looking, you know, we, we're constantly... Um, you know, optimizing for the best way to, to get to folks. And our organic demand is always a great way to get folks. So that's, that's right. Very low yeah. cost transition. Yeah, so. that's right. And on the topic of entrepreneurship, any advice that you would have having gone through the process of starting a company, getting it up and running, any advice you'd have to budding entrepreneurs out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, entrepreneurship is hard. I, the, I think the, um, I've, I've said this to, to friends before, but, you know, it, it uh, it requires a little bit of, you know, kind of stupidity almost that, that you know, the, the average, um, you know, startup fails. Um, and so it's, it's a bit irrational uh, to, to take the leap and, you know, to start a company. Um, and so, you know, I think you just got to be aware of that. Um, it means you have to have a lot of conviction in whatever you do. And I know that when we started Pedal, um, you know, it was something that I, you know, just could not do. Um, which I think is something you, you kind of thematically hear from a lot of people that, you know, there's an overwhelming desire to, to, to start something, which I think is probably a pretty good sign. Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, something for me that's been pretty important, um, is the notion that, that in a lot of ways uh, you have to slow down to speed up. Um, so it's easy when you start something, you want to, you know, start running a thousand miles an hour and you want a customer tomorrow, you know, to be using the product. But, you know, it's, it's at the end of the day, it's about building something that's different and something that, that's, that's amazing and you have to have high standards. And, and you know, there, I think there's a very strong tension uh, between kind of the, the, the lean startup type approach where, you know, it's like you, you want to be embarrassed of your product when you launch it. But at the same time, you know, consumers can be unforgiving sometimes, and so you, you need to you need to do something that is different and that is good. Um, you need to have pretty high standards for what that's going to be. 
and that doesn't happen overnight. Um, I think you know the the you know the, there there are a lot of you know uh, overnight successes years in the making. Um, you know the and you've got to dedicate a lot of time to incubate an idea and to, to really you know be thoughtful about what it is you're going to do. Um, and also importantly to talk to a lot of people about it. Um, you know it's 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 um I think it's you know it's easy when you start something to to want to you know kind of you know, keep it as your own and, you know, kind of cultivate it and, 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 and not tell anybody, but you, you've got to, you've got to sh- share your ideas with folks, um, and, and, you know, f- you know, get feedback and, you know, that's, even if you're not selling something to, to, to real life customers or letting them use the product, um, you're, you're telling your friends, you're telling people in your peer network kind of what you're doing and, you know, you're kind of pitching it out every day. Um, you know, the folks with common sense can often tell you a lot, um, about, Parts of your idea that, that are stronger or weaker, um, and a lot of being a successful entrepreneur, I think, is being able to hear that feedback, take that feedback, um, and incorporate it, and you know, also at the same time, knowing which feedback to take and which which to not, um, and, and making those decisions the right way, uh, and kind of almost it's, it's almost like rapid prototyping in a way, but it's kind of it's it's it's, it's kind of conceptual. You you. You can you can, you can get a lot of information by talking to you know to, to people you respect, um, people who have been in the industry and things like that, and use that information to change the way you think about what you're doing. Um, and that, that I think that continues indefinitely. We we still use that that type of you know kind of growth mindset, if you will, um, at Pedal today. And I think the it's it's probably a good practice for anyone to, to use kind of whether they're an entrepreneur or not. Um, and. and yeah, I think that there's there's a there's a lot of different ways you can approach the the uh, the challenge of entrepreneurship. Um, and probably the last thing I'd say is like you know there's there's no one size fits all. Um, you know if you feel really strongly about doing something, maybe that's what you should do. So it's a uh, you know there's a lot of a lot of advice catered out there, and you know you you yourself probably are the best ultimate judge for what you should do. I like the idea of sharing what you're working on with people around you, both to get feedback, but it's also a commitment device, right? So that yeah, yeah. when you see them the next week, they're gonna ask you, oh, how's yeah. the startup going? Totally. You're gonna yeah. have to answer them. So Absolutely. you're gonna have about what you're doing because that keeps you on track. Absolutely. So we'd love to um, step back and get your thoughts on some of what's going on in the industry. Yeah, sure. Um, one thing I'm curious about is, you know, thinking about your business model and how you've gone about addressing a consumer need and doing it in a way where you're not charging fees, you're offering more competitive rates. Um, it's good for the consumer, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like you're seeing this increasing trend. Um, you know, other examples that come to mind are Chime and their model sure. of no fee yeah. banking, or the recently announced Marcus <coughs> Apple Card, which yep. also has no fees on, on, on the credit card. Right. Um, What's what's driving this trend? Do you see that accelerating, and, and what's how's this going to play out in the industry? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's been an overall trend, you know, in, in I think this is true in in uh, fintech and consumer finance, uh, but also you know kind of just across the the new economy with direct to consumer companies um, and other you know venture backed businesses that they found that you know for whatever reason maybe it's generational, um, I don't know why it's occurring, but um, folks generally like simplicity, um, and that's that's part of that's something that we've kind of baked into our our mission um, on a simple and accessible credit. Um, but it, it's I think it's something that, that is kind of a very secular trend uh, throughout the economy that that making things very simple is a good thing. And I think there's generally a tendency to see financial products, particularly fees, 
um, or financial products that have fees as being hidden, being unfair, um, and being something that you know consumers really don't like. So um, you know, I think that that's something that a lot of incumbents and fintechs have, have all you know picked up on um, that you know people don't like fine print, uh, they don't like fees. Uh, they, they don't want to be hit with things that they're not expecting. Um, and, you know, th- th- I think that, that manifests in various ways. The, you know, for you, you, but generally speaking, you want to have a very transparent, um, often singular way that you're, you're going to charge your, your customer. Um, and adding fees to a, a product um, for a financial product in a lot of ways complicates that. Um, and so for a credit card, you know, charging interest is how you have, how the consumer is going to, you know, pay the credit card company. Um, and that's the only way that you're going to pay. So for, for pedal, um, you know, we charge interest and that's it. Um, there's nothing else. And we can say that clearly it's no fee card. Um, and I think that's a lot of what, what other folks have, have picked up on. Um, and you see that in other spaces where, you know, it's often very common for people to have a subscription model, um, where it doesn't depend on how much you use something. Um, you're, constantly going to pay $5 a month or $10 a month. That's kind of the model that Netflix uses um, and a number of others. Um, and Amazon Prime, I think in some ways, is kind of has also started to, to kind of pick up on that as well with kind of the, the, the recurrence of, you know, consistent payment. Um, even when you're, you're paying for other things, um, kind of it can have value among consumers. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that makes a lot of sense. And on a slightly different note, but another trend that we've seen in the industry is um, the rise of point of sale lending, whether yep. it's a firm or some of the white label solutions that are out there, um, and the potential for that to, to displace traditional credit cards. Sure. Is that something that you see as a threat at all? Or? You know, I, 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 we don't see it as a, a threat today uh, by any means. I think the, if anything, I think credit cards are you know, across the economy being used more. Um, and the way that that, that that credit card is being delivered and usage is, is beginning to evolve. I think you're seeing that with Apple Pay and with Samsung Pay and others. Um, but we're not particularly concerned by by point-of-sale financing, particularly online, uh, per se. Um, you know, and there, there, there are a number of innovations happening across payments all the time um, that, that, you know, that, that we pay attention to, whether it's crypto or, or point-of-sale, whatnot. Um, I think the bigger story... Really is that you know there there kind of there's, there's a chasm and I think there there are kind of two financial companies fintech or otherwise and in my opinion the the, the boundary between fintech and financial services really is becoming non-existent. Um, the you know you have companies that, that are able to to kind of evolve and be different um, and, and adopt technology and you know kind of be able to to work with with uh, you know modern consumers um, and those that aren't. Um, and I think the you know there are a number of ways of delivering value to folks um, that, that that require that you that you can adapt. Um, and if you can't, you're kind of in that second category. So I think a lot of you know ultimately a lot of smaller institutions you know don't, don't have the ability to invest in technology and things like that. And I think they're they're at risk of you know irrelevance. Um, and then on the other side, you know there there are a number of new ways of paying for things, moving money, you know lending money, things like that um, that, that are going to become you know, more popular and, and be more more or less successful. Um, and point of sale is one of them. I think using, you know, mobile to pay for things is, is another that the credit card is completely compatible with um, and others and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, I think it, the, you know, the, the things that, that a firm and, 
and uh, Klarna and, and other companies like that are doing, they, they, they totally make sense, but I don't really see them as a replacement of a credit card. Um, I, I see it's kind of just a supplement away for people to pay, pay for things that it's not using cash. And really probably part of the bigger, one of, one of the bigger things to take away from the story is that people are paying for more things online. Um, and, you know, point of sale financing is one way to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I like your description of those sorts of uh, two types of companies. In my mind, it's almost like those who are disrupting, those being disrupted. Yeah, totally. Um, and there, there are also some big institutions probably doing, doing some disrupting. You know, yeah, they, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's going to become more and more important. Um, you know, it's kind of a philosophical approach towards running a business, which is true, I think, across the board for, for all industries. Um Particularly consumer-facing ones, um, but in, in fintech, you know that that's something that we see is is really important. To end on a personal note, yeah. um, could you share a little bit about some of your interests, passions outside of outside of the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. So I, 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 you know, I think I'm a relatively normal person. Um, I, you know, I something I, I'm a I'm a big fan of reading. Uh, recently, I've been you know big, and it's probably a little bit trite um, at this point, you know, in the technology community. But I really enjoy reading science fiction. Uh, it's something I've been doing a lot more recently. It's a good way to kind of get new and different ideas. You know, not very much outside of you know kind of reading about the world today. But I think reading is a big thing that I, I spend a lot of time doing, uh, particularly increasingly. Um, it's a good way to, to reflect. Um, and then also, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of of, of cooking. Uh, all, all kinds of stuff, um, you know, you know, all kinds of cuisine. So, uh, rel- relatively normal person, but uh, you know, the, the last thing I'm a big fan of is I, I really like uh, like uh, canoeing. Uh, so, you know, whitewater type stuff. And I'm growing up in in kind of west central Arkansas. You've got a lot of a lot of uh, you know pretty pretty vibrant rivers that you can you can do that on, and you know, often get yourself in trouble when you flip, but um, Really enjoy doing that and, and uh, try and get out of New York City as often as I can to, to do it. Favorite science fiction book or what are you currently reading? Yeah, so I'm currently reading uh, Foundation by Isaac Asimov. Um, so I'm about halfway through it. Um, and I've read uh, a little bit of Asimov in the past, but it's, uh, it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a smart guy. So um, you know, encourage anybody who wants to, to read something interesting to leap for that one. Awesome. Well, thanks, Andrew, for joining us, and best of luck with that all. Yeah, thanks.